Welcome to the Highway Church Podcast. We're excited for you to join us today. To find out more about us, visit highway.com.au. I hope you've been blessed today, whether you be a mother or not, whether you be a man or a woman in this room. Just as believers, we come together in a room like this and we give all the praise and all the thanks to our God. And it's just so wonderful together to be able to gather around God's Word today and just to share some pages of that and some thoughts around that. And I know today you're going to leave a little different because we've been exposed to the Word of God. And I want to talk to you today. I've just called this Loaves and Fishes, and I'm not sure what your upbringing was like, but for me growing up, I wasn't um, exposed to a strong Christian influence at all, apart from just a few short years when I was taken to church by, by a parent. And there were a couple of teachers that I had throughout my, particularly my um, probably latter primary years and moving over to to some degree into those early high school years. But uh, there was a religious education teacher. His name was Reverend Kirby. And I, I don't really remember anything that Reverend Kirby taught other than being always excited when it was his time and turn to come in and speak to our class. And many, many that came into that religious edu- education class were bored. They, they got distracted. They, they played around. They were, you know, tapping each other under the chairs. And, but I, I can remember being one of those students in the class that was completely mesmerized by Reverend Kirby when he would come in. The other teacher that made an impact on my life was in grade seven. And I had a, um, a Catholic teacher by the name of Mr. Rundle. And Mr. Rundle was the one who taught me the Lord's Prayer. Not only did he teach me, but he actually, every morning, he would start the class with the Lord's Prayer, him leading the way, and we had to recite. And so in those formative years, it was those two teachers that made the deepest impact upon my life. I barely remember any other teachers throughout my school years, but it was those two. And so by the time, a few years later, when I did become a Christian, I, I was able to read the Bible with a, with, I guess, a, I suppose, a, a sense of simplicity about it. And I had this simple faith that when I read it, that I could somehow put myself in the stories and I could put myself in those scriptures and I would put my name in there and I figured in my, in my simple approach to the Word of God that if God was able to do something back then, whether it be way back in time, centuries earlier, or whether it be now, I figured that if he could do it then, he was able to do it now. And if he could do it for somebody else, then he could most certainly do it for me. And so I never thought for a moment that the principles belonged to an era gone by. I I felt that the Word of God still worked. No matter what century you you came from, no matter what family background you came from, he, he was no respecter of persons. He didn't just select favor on one and ignore another. It was like God had a plan for each and every one of us. And so it made no difference to me. And I had this simple belief that if I spoke to God, then he had ears to hear. And if he had ears to hear, he also had a heart to to answer. And so irrespective of my journey, at least, whatever I was trusting God for, I learned early on to know that he was my source. 
neither mother or father in my story taught me how to pray or anything like that, but I am incredibly grateful to the parent. In my case, it was my father who took me to church. And for that, I, I cannot describe to you how much I appreciated that. It was only for a few short years, but it was enough for God to impact my heart with things I didn't understand back then, but it was something about being in the proximity of people who knew something of God or were exposed to church, and it all mattered. And I want to touch on a couple of stories today. One of them, the story centering around Elisha the prophet, who has a very similar experience to what was going on in the Gospels that we'll take a look at in a few moments' time. But this first scripture is in 2 Kings chapter 4, verses 42 through to 44. And a man comes to him with 20 loaves of barley bread and tells him to give it to the people to eat. The servant asked, how can I set this small amount before so many? And Elisha answered, give it to the people to eat, for this is what the Lord says. They will eat and there will be some left over. Then he set it before them and they ate and they had some left over according to, according to the word of the Lord. And this context here of this scripture, I like it because it reminds me of some things and we'll, we'll sort of pull this apart in a moment time, but As we go into the Gospels, you'll see the similarity with stories here. And no matter whether it be the pages of the Bible you read or perhaps it's your own individual lives, but so often in life it feels like the big versus the small. Like we're facing a ginormous kind of problem or situation or things that we don't have answers or remedies for. And it feels like it's enormous and we feel like we're the small in the whole story. But if it was about size, if it was about size, then young David would have never conquered Goliath. If it was about how big your body was or what age you were, then David would never have overcome this giant nine-foot man called Goliath. And really, when we look at the context of these scriptures that I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning, it's not about big versus small or the other way around. It is about according to the word of the Lord. And many of you in this room, including me today, are here today because either you or somebody else, maybe a mother, maybe a father, maybe somebody in your world, somebody took a hold of something according to his word. And because it was according to his word, You and I are here today declaring him as Lord over our lives. God has removed the blindness. He has opened up a stubborn and a rebellious heart. He has caused our lives to walk down a path and go on a journey with him. He has softened our whole heart toward him that we've got a, not just a repentant heart, but also a willing heart to live for him all the days of our life. Somebody and most likely a parent or even a mother or a grandmother, a friend or a sister, took a hold of God's word for you when you were not interested, when you resisted, when you were not able to do that for yourself, and they weren't put off by the size of whatever was going on in your life at that particular time. You might have been in a 
terrible situation, but they weren't put off by the size of the problem. They took a hold of something according to the word of the Lord. And as far as they were concerned and as far as God was concerned, your life will be according to the word of the Lord. I think it was Robert, mother, uh, Robert, uh, Richard Roberts' mother um, said something about her son, um, Richard Roberts, when he was away from God and not wanting to walk with God. And she said, you will never outrun your mother's prayers. You won't do that. And so mothers, we applaud you, grandmothers and all of those in the room today that didn't give up on us and we have not been able to outrun the prayers of those because they just took according to the word of the Lord over our lives. And I think it needs to be the whole statement, theme, essence, purpose, everything about our lives, that we are people that will run our race according to the word of the Lord. What God does over your life, in your life, will never be on ration. There is always something that is left over. And now to go forward into the Gospels, and this story is repeated in all of the Gospels, and we see here this incredible crowd, which was not unusual because the crowd followed Jesus because they wanted to hear him teach or preach or impart something to their lives. But this crowd was following, and then Jesus has this conversation with one of his disciples called Philip. And in John chapter 6, verses 5 through to 12, Jesus says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for the people to eat? He asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months of wages would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. And another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but this will not go among so many. And Jesus said, have the people sit down, for there was plenty of grass in that place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. And Jesus took the loaves, he gave thanks, and he distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish, and when they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, and let nothing be wasted. And so we see these similarities in Old and New Testament, and we read the same thing, and as I read these, I thought, God, how does this fit into the context of our own lives? And I believe it fits because there will always be a tension in your life. There will always be the tension between what is factual, how it is, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it seems like, and the tension will lie between what it is today and what it could be in that faith dimension how big it is today, how problematic it is today, how complicated it is today, will always be this tension as long as we live on this earth between that and between what God is able to do. There will always be something that is big and we feel like we're the small, the tension. And Jesus asked this question to Philip. He said, where will we buy the bread to feed all of these people? And of course, it was a test because Jesus knew exactly where the bread was coming from, that he was getting these guys ready, these people ready to experience a miracle and to pull from the disciple Philip and the other disciples that were there and all the way down through time to us today to pull out of us the ability that we would be people that would live by faith and not by sight alone. 
We will always have to see what, what we can see with these eyes and feel what we can feel with our hearts and, and all of that. That will never go away. But there is this tension and this is where the journey is. As we grow and as we develop in our walk with God, that will we become these disciples? Will we become these followers of Christ? That we do understand the tension between the two worlds, but I will live by faith and not by sight alone according to the word of the Lord. So these early lessons, faith lessons for these disciples were invaluable and not only were they invaluable for them then, they are absolutely invaluable for us today because not only did they have to learn to live by faith, but so do we. That our focus and our attention is not caught up with lack of money, that it's not caught up with a lack of something else, that it's not caught up with the size of something, the magnitude, the problem, the complication of something, but rather that we would know where. And Jesus said this very word, where, to the disciple Philip, and he said, where will the bread come from? Jesus, of course, already knew. It wasn't about what they would eat. It was about where it would come from. And he asked us the same question today. Where will your focus be? Where will your source be? Where will your confidence lie? And not one time does a lack of money or a lack of food or the demands of the crowd even become a consideration to Jesus because he was the where. He was the where, he is the where, he will always be the where. It was never going to change. Where would they look when they're in some other need when Jesus wasn't around? Where will a mother look when a child is sick? Where will a mother go when there's some other situation? I can remember the days, many years, when my own mother would just not give her life to Jesus. She had been a woman who had had some kind of bad Christian experience earlier in her life. And every single time I talked to her about the Lord, she would just put her hand up and say, not now, not now, not now. And when she was diagnosed with cancer, I, I would keep asking her from time to time. I would say, mum, are you ready to give your life to Jesus yet? Not now, not now. Talk to me another time. And then finally that day came and I said, Mum, are you ready to give your life to the Lord yet? And by this stage, she had been diagnosed with aggressive cancer and that cancer had shifted into other parts of her body. And I remember the afternoon distinctly because we'd just come back from the Royal Brisbane Hospital. And I said, Mum, are you ready yet to give your life to Jesus? And surprise of all surprises, she said to me, yes, I am, just like that. And she put out her hand to hold my hand and at that day, she knew where her where was. She met the Lord Jesus Christ as her saviour. It was only a little while after I lost my mum. My mum would have been 92. Her birthday, May 5, was just the other day. And she would have been 92. But I'm so glad today to know where my mother is. And not only is she in that place, but she knew that where, that he was now her saviour. These faith lessons aren't just for a moment they are faith lessons that had to go beyond that grassy knoll that day when the disciples and the 5,000 sat on that grassy knoll with no food and such a large crowd and such a, a small amount of food to give them. 
And I believe that what Jesus teaches us all the way through is that every experience you have, every prayer that gets answered, every miracle touch, every breakthrough that you get has to have long-term faith attached to it, that it can't be just attached to a moment, an experience, a feeling, an altar call, but you have to go beyond so that there is long-term faith that stands the test of time. Where will they look when there was another need in their life? Jesus wasn't too far at this point to going to the cross. Where will we look beyond our experience of a miracle? Some people are still living off the memory of yesterday's miracles. Byron comes back with stories and telling me when he was in Pensacola and he was in Toronto and he was in Sunderland, England and all those places, staggering move of God that was happening. Incredible presence of God. I can remember being myself in Spokane in Washington and feeling the presence of God like I've never experienced in my whole, whole life. And I I would love to experience God's presence of that size again, but I cannot live off yesterday's feelings and where I was at that time. I've got to have a long-term faith that stands the test of time when you don't feel his presence, when it makes sense and when you don't get the answers. And what Jesus was teaching them, that your faith has to have traction for today. Our walk with God is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator show. It's not a Sunday experience whereby, awesome, that was good, that was average, that was poor. Our walk with God is a faith journey with him. And faith lessons are along the way for a long-term lasting effect. The second thought is this, the loaves and the fishes is a description of just a small contribution and so much to be done. And Jesus tells them, to sit down. And I like this because when they sit down, can you imagine, and it would have been more than 5,000, that was just the 5,000 men that were counted, but there would have been women and children. And I believe that the sit down moment is not just bringing order to what could have been a crowd chaos, but I believe it's also a posture to sit down, relax in who he is. He is the great I am. And everything in this message is about Jesus, he's got this. I am the solution, I am the provision. I am your peace and I am your provider. I am your saviour and I am your help in a time of need. Sit down and see the salvation of the Lord. Relax and rest in who he is because he is your where. And thirdly, Jesus gave thanks. Oh my. If we could be appreciative of all that he's done. But the bread and the fish were placed into the hands of Jesus. And it is with this main thought that I I actually read something. I don't know who the author was, but something was written just a few years ago and they said, if you place a basketball in my hands, it is worth no more than around $19. But if you place a basketball in the hands of Michael Jordan then that basketball is worth $33 million. A tennis racket is placed in my hands and it's worth nothing. But if you put into Roger Federer's hands, then suddenly that tennis racket is worth millions upon millions of dollars. A slingshot in the hands of a young David became the weapon that took the giant, Goliath, the nine-foot giant down. A rod in the hands of Moses opened up 
opens up the sea. A few fish and loaves of bread in my hands will produce nothing more than just a few sandwiches and nothing more. But what if we were bold enough, courageous enough, faith-filled enough? What if we were men and women of God to say, you know what? As the fish and the bread were put into Jesus' hands that day, I'm going to put into God's hands my future, my decisions, my dreams, my aspirations, my goals, my plans, and see if he can establish them. What if we were to ask God for his wisdom? Because he says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God and I will give it. He will give you wisdom for your family, the training of your children. What school should they go to? He will give you wisdom around your future, your business, what decisions to make. I'm so glad and grateful for the wisdom that God gave Byron and I some years ago when we were about to go into business partnership with some people. And right at that moment of signing the document, the Holy Spirit said, do not go into partnership with these men. And we were spared that day from a very bad decision. What if we were bold enough to put into God's hands our own individual lives and see what the master can do with that? Leave it in my hands and it's nothing more than loaves and fish. Put it into God's hands and it comes out expansion and growth, multiplication and anointing. And it has an eternal aspect to it. When they were looking at a hungry crowd, Jesus was saying, I've already got the answer. Could this crowd be a picture of our own world today? Our own world that is trying to satisfy that only brings temporary satisfaction. They were fed bread and fish that day. That kind of meal would only satisfy for maybe four or five hours. But the lessons that Jesus was teaching them were faith lessons that would last for a lifetime, go on to the next generation, and the generation to follow, and here we are still talking about the same thing. Why do I remember the religious education teacher called Reverend Kirby? Why do I remember Mr. Rundle, the man who taught me the Lord's Prayer? Why am I so grateful to the parent who took me to church for just a window of time, even though I grew up in a crazy, dysfunctional, unhealthy background? None of it perfect, but all three of those people God used to point me to him. I'm so grateful, and I know you are too, for the parent, for the mum, for the grandmother, for the whoever in your world that has created a pathway for you to walk in. And created a pathway for you to raise your own children. You will be somebody in somebody else's life. You'll be that one that they'll talk about decades from now. To say, I'm so grateful for that one. Because God used that one to point me to God. And then finally, the scripture tells us in both the King's scripture and the Gospel of John. That nothing was wasted. The people ate that day and their hunger was satisfied and there was food left over that then went into 12 baskets. And that's got a meaning on its own, which we don't have time for. But the whole message is this, it's not wasted. 
The hunger on the grassy knoll that day was not wasted. Those at the wedding where they ran out of wine was not wasted. Those that cried out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me was not wasted. Those things in your own life, whatever they look like, whatever they represent, have not been wasted. And I'll tell you why they've not been wasted, because you have aware. And your life is according to the word of the Lord. Maybe it did take a hungry crowd that day to deepen the faith of the disciples. Maybe it did take the wedding at Canaan to deepen the faith of the disciples. Maybe it did take Lazarus coming out of the tomb to deepen the faith of the disciples. And I tell you what, Jesus is so committed to your faith being deep and being deep in him because he is your where. Whatever your story is today, whatever it looks like today, it is not wasted because you have a where. And if you would be bold enough to place into his hands as, they, as what happened that day, Elisha only fed 100 people. Jesus fed 5,000 or more. What can God do today with that which you place into his hands? I believe he's the God of multiplication. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray for every person in this room today, not only what's those that are in the room, but those beyond this room. And I ask today, oh God, that this would be a refocused time, that this would be a time Oh God, where we would truly know where our where is. Lord, as we stand as mothers and grandmothers, fathers and friends, sisters or brothers, whoever, help us, Lord, and equip us, I pray, to be that somebody in somebody else's life that they'll talk about in years ahead and say, thank God for that one that went to you about my life and said, according to the word of the Lord, I will find Christ as my Lord and Saviour. Lord, I honour the mothers here today and the mentors, those that have influenced my own life and those that have influenced us in this room. We want to thank you for them. They were an absolute heaven plant in our lives and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful.